Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's Money-M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome. It's Crystal Arnold. We are your hostess of Money Wise Women and founder of Money Morphosis. So many people I know are struggling with money. And there's often a feeling that there's just never enough, no matter how much they do, how much they make, it's, it's not enough. And it's like this endless hunger. And this is actually a scarcity mindset that is uh, causing a great deal of suffering in people. And I've found again and again, when people are able to shift their thinking and identify their own beliefs and how that affects their behaviors about money, it ripples out into all aspects of their lives. They become more able to engage in satisfying open relationships with people. They are able to really value their own gifts and unique genius and often flourish in their own work and business and become better parents and able to more uh, effectively teach their children about what is most valuable and why. And so for any of you who are feeling um, like you don't have a great relationship with money, I want you to know that change is possible. And when you have the courage to get past some of that shame and guilt and fear about talking about money, great transformation and ultimately relief happens. I've seen this again and again in the workshops I've done around money that people, when they have a chance to just open up and get real about what's what's going on and, and what happens, what kind of money traumas they experienced, then shifts can occur. And this is really so powerful in our world today as uh, people, not only women, uh, so many people are stepping up with uh, courage and becoming leaders and defining success on their own terms and being willing to define what is enough and have great courage, uh, compassion, not only for ourselves, but for other people. And so I am just really delighted to have our guest on today, Lisa Peterson, who has had a lot of experience supporting people in really creating better relationships with money and financial habits that are supportive. And I think you will really gain a lot from hearing her wisdom here today. 
So Lisa Peterson, she is a life coach who helps conscious entrepreneurs fall in love with money. She combines her skills of being a longtime entrepreneur and self-made millionaire with over 20 years of working in personal finance. Then she mixes in mindfulness practices, EFT, emotional freedom technique, past life regression, and other healing modalities to help clients reconnect to their true selves and remove their limiting beliefs around money. Lisa is passionate about exposing the fallacy of lack in our culture whilst encouraging the pursuit of abundance. And you can connect with her at lisapeterson.com, which you can see in the the post here, um, and also at wealthclinic.com. So delighted to have you on here today, Lisa. I'd love to begin just by hearing a little bit about what you find most exciting about the work that you're doing. Thank you, Crystal, so much for for having me on this show. I'm so excited to be here with you and your listeners. So, you know, just like you were talking about, I think that all of my work stems from the fact that I feel terrible about the pain that so many of us feel about money. And that's been something that my earliest memories in my life I dealt with. Money was a source of great pain in my home and Early on, I made a decision that if I could master money, then perhaps I would be happy. And that was kind of what dictated my life and my journey. And um, kind of strange to be making those decisions at seven, eight years of age, but that is exactly what I did. And it, it led me on this incredible journey to ultimately becoming a financial advisor, working in the money business for many years. And And unfortunately, I also at the same time was working my way up the corporate ladder, dealt with a pretty severe tragedy. My father was was murdered by um, a a family friend, and it, it began this inner journey that was happening simultaneous to the outer work with money. And one day it all kind of smashed up and came together, and I realized that my true purpose in life was to identify why we felt this pain about money and not just, you know, stare at it, but actually start to find solutions that would give people tremendous relief in their relationship with money. Does that help? Fascinating. I Yes, I love to hear that about your journey that brought you to this very unique uh, offering. Um, what, wow. So tell me a little bit more about, about that journey and your background and what you saw in your family and, and in the financial planning field that led you to the work you're doing now. Yeah. One, one little story that comes to mind is as a financial advisor, I worked my way into you know, becoming a certified financial planner. And and I kept getting closer and closer. I started out far removed from the client, working with um, at the corporate level with a major bank, and then found myself being drawn closer and closer to the individual experience with money. And I remember that when I I should first off off say I'm an empath, and, and I know that you are too, and probably a lot of your listeners are, but what that means is that we 
feel things at a very deep level, so often way beyond even what other people are feeling. We can feel these feelings that other people are having even though they're trying to avoid them. And so I didn't know that about myself when I was an advisor. I just knew that I would ask questions that all my colleagues were like, why are you even asking that? Like, why do you care so much about how people feel? And, and I'm like, I don't know, but I just do. So when people would sit in, in my office as a financial advisor and they would come in and it would be men and women, but probably even more with women, they would sit down, they would be there to talk about money. And as soon as we got into the conversations about what to do, I would sense that the person had emotionally left the room. And I knew this because many people were my friends and outside of being their advisor. And I would watch their behavior change. And all of a sudden, it was like I was connecting to an empty chair. And I was trying to bring them back into the conversation, but I could tell that there was not enough time nor enough education that I could provide to them in the space of that relationship of advisor to client that would actually help bring them back. And I knew something was happening energetically that I didn't have the tools to help them with. Does that make sense for you? Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 And, I, and so that, yeah, it was frustrating, right? Right. And I think that's so often people have uh, that separation between their finances and going to see a financial advisor or some professional. And then on the other side, seeing their therapist over here to talk about emotions. And so how brilliant that you are able to kind of bring those together. And I also now looking back, I see that oftentimes we are in a situation where we don't trust the financial industry, especially with what's happened, you know, over this past 10 years or so. We don't trust the advisors, even though I'm a really nice person, I could feel like I came with a lot of baggage once I put the financial advisor hat on. I could feel people become distrustful of me. And then we don't trust ourselves around money. So it's a triple whammy where people are coming in. And again, I feel like, you know, we're talking to women mostly here. They, they probably know what I'm talking about. But what happens when you feel, you know, distrust at three levels? So don't trust yourself, don't trust the advisor, don't trust the industry. What I saw happen is people don't do anything. They don't save money. They don't take care of it in the most ideal way. They're, they're, they just don't take the action that they know they should be taking. And that creates a whole other set of problems that I am continuing to unveil as I work with people about the guilt, the fear, the shame, and the judgment. Once, once those things are dealt with, what I've noticed is people are ready to take action because they trust themselves. They're, they have the tools, or they at least know that they're going to ask the questions to get the tools to be more empowered about money. So that's the shift that I'm trying to facilitate. Mm. Yes, to bring trust and integrity and human dignity back into the financial world is no small feat, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> wow. Wow. So what, you know, what other common struggles are, do you see, especially with women around their money and maybe also in particular with entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think that, you know, education is the thing that most people point to. Like, we just haven't received enough education growing up about money. There's not a lot of resources to get to 
you know, the meat of what we, of making better decisions. But again, what I found is, is that the education isn't all that complicated. It's that we're doing it in the wrong order. We're just trying to get the, we're trying to get the education. Maybe we read books about money and stuff like that. But if we have a lot of emotional um, trauma that we're holding on to before we do that education, the education doesn't go very far. And so what I see women struggling with is they, um, they don't even realize what they're holding on to. So a lot of my work is about identifying the beliefs that we hold on to that are preventing us from moving forward. So thinking of an example, I mean, Crystal, can you think of a, of a belief that comes to mind because it'd be fun to actually, you know, perhaps talk a little more about a specific belief that's, that's common for, for people around money? Oh, gosh. Well, the first one that comes up is I have to work harder to make more money. Mm, yeah, super common. And, and we all have elements of this because we live in a society that's very production-oriented. Like, we don't have much value, you know, or we're, there's perception of value based on how hard we work. So it ties into a lot of different beliefs that all ultimately say to us that we need to work hard to make more money. And the harder we work, the more money we'll make. And we know that that's, that's not actually true. We, we know that there are plenty of situations out there that people have not had to work all that hard and had tremendous, um, you know, success, for example, right? We've seen those stories. So we, we, we do know that that's not necessarily true. Plus, we also know that if we work too hard and we're so worn out and we're so overwhelmed, we lack our creative problem solving. We don't actually come up with the best solutions for our business, and we tend to get blinders on about, you know, what's going to bring us success. So exhaustion is definitely not the, the path to financial success, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So... So when we can look at a belief and start to pick it apart a little bit in the way I just did, which is, well, it's really not true. Like this is something that's coming from our own side. This is our own perceptive reality. What I like to do for my clients is ask a series of questions that dive into what's actually going on with that belief. So, you know, we won't go through all of it here, but the way that I open that door is, is when you're holding that belief, I have to work hard to make a lot of money. How do you feel? Not how you want to feel, not how you should feel, but how does that make you feel? And perhaps you can even answer that question, Crystal, to help people think about it. Right. It feels like this heaviness, like an obligation. I feel exhausted. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so noticing that even that, like, I'm going to guess that you don't really think about those things very often, like right. in that way that you just did. So what we notice, I know first and foremost, is that these beliefs get created even though they don't make us feel good. And so what happens is we start propping up the belief by resistance because we don't want to feel bad. So we're going to keep propping it up. We're not going to dive into it to understand what's under the surface. But what I found is that when we touch into our feelings 
And then there are other things that can bring feelings front and center is when I, when we, when you think about that belief, I have to work hard to make a lot of money. Do any situations from the past come to mind? Um, not in particular, but that's a good question. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there can be situations where we automatically, what will happen for a lot of my clients is they'll be like, I have no idea that that this has anything to do with what you just asked me, but this story just popped up. Okay. And I'm like, great, perfect. Tell me about it. And we might hear a story of a situation where, um, you know, I'm just tuning into one even for me, when my father, when I was growing up, I remember my father sitting me down and he was in tears and kind of sobbing through this experience. And he told me that it was that, that the people that like that I needed to be very, very careful about where I worked and that it would be far better for me to be an entrepreneur and work for myself because people, when people had control over you getting your paycheck, it was a horrible, horrible thing. Mm. And, um, and, and he said that, you know, it didn't matter how hard you worked, but they always could make the decision and you weren't the one in the power position. And he was sobbing because there had been something that had happened to him at work and he felt so vulnerable. And it's interesting because now we don't know why that story, I could get into it, why it connects, but, but this is what happens for the people when we ask these questions is these stories come and they're actually revealing something about ourselves. Like for me, I look at that and I think how funny that I – I ended up working for other people, but was always unhappy working for other people. I always was kind of um, engineering my path when I was working for other people because I wanted to make sure that I had the upper hand. And it became a lot of work (laughs) to always have the upper hand when I was an employee. Like It sounds like a recipe for disaster, but that was one of my stories. And so we start to see that the beliefs that we're holding on to have these stories behind them that have a lot of emotion and we've actually been holding on to them because we when my dad did that with me I wanted to cry for him I felt so much compassion I felt so much love but it wasn't appropriate so I stood there and I kind of took it in and I suppressed my own feelings of emotion in that moment well that's how these beliefs get created is they get created from the experience of us not being able to fully emote, to fully express, to fully be in the experience at the time, often when we were young. And it's like they become frozen in time. Like I can almost tell you what my dad was wearing, where we were, all these elements of that conversation because of the trauma associated with it. And ultimately I created a belief around it that I continue to live with until I dive in and uncover and release the feelings of emotion that were associated with that experience. And I'm simplifying it, but is, have I lost you or what are you thinking? Oh, that's great, Lisa. I, that is such a great articulation of some of this invisible work that really does impact so many areas of our lives. When we can just go to the root of the weed and, and pull it out, it's much more effective than just trimming it back at the surface. And that's really what I hear you speaking to. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great summary of it. And and I feel like sometimes, you know, in these conversations, it's really helpful for them to hear specific, you know, examples because I think that's how we probably learn. Um, 
better than anything. So thank you for letting me go into that rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I totally agree, especially because, as we both know, there's so much shame around talking about money. So often people just assume that everyone else has it all together financially, and they just feel like, you know, they're stupid about money and, you know, they're too embarrassed to ask questions. And especially as a woman, you know, so many people I've talked to had challenging encounters with male figures in the financial world or with the father and uh, just really carry on that kind of um, trauma into their adult interactions. And so what is it that creates greater maturity with money? This is kind of what's, what's coming up is, is I think a lot of people are kind of trapped in immaturity just for no fault of their own, but just the circumstances, how, how can people become more um, mature with money? So I love this question um, for so many reasons. It's actually something that I'm exploring in a book that I am writing because one of the ways not to develop maturity is by thinking that something like positive thinking is going to change your life like alone, all by itself, just thinking right. good thoughts. And but that is something that we have been fed. You know, you go back to like the secret and a lot of the self-help and the stuff that I am bumping up against on a regular basis and the work that I do. But, but it, isn't, it isn't like that. Now, what I think that we're uncovering is that there's so much opportunity to develop maturity by being willing to look inside and see what's not working for us. So awareness is where it all starts. Awareness of what isn't working, what's not serving us, what is, what are we in avoidance around, what are we in denial around. Like the more we can shine the light in that direction, the more maturity we're going to ultimately develop in our relationship with money. Yes, awareness. And then what? Yeah. So as we gain awareness, I think that I've, I've found on my own path and my own as a coach and as, as a workshop teacher is that there's tremendous power in working together. So I like working with other women, um, particularly around this stuff. So when we can shine the spotlight on the things that aren't working and we can share those things and talk about them freely without fear of judgment that we're doing something wrong or that we're bad or that we have something to be shameful about, that the healing is multidimensionally more powerful than just trying to do this work on our own. So I would actually classify it that, you know, working with a coach isn't as effective as working with a group of people to heal your money story, for example. Um, there's so much power in being able to say, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what's happened. Now I understand why I got there the way that I did. And in the release of that, in the sharing of that experience and noticing that other people have their own experiences and their own stories of shame and guilt, then we actually start to rise together in a way that empowers us to become interested in the education. So it's like, once you go through the process of, of identifying it and, and, and healing it, and healing can happen in so many ways. We talked about emotion, 
you know, you mentioned with my introduction that I like to use things like tapping and emotional freedom technique. It's really, really quick and easy, and we can talk about that more if you'd like. But I also have found that many of the stories that we bring into this life go beyond this life, and that that was not something I went looking for. Um, In fact, my husband's just like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing now? When I told him I was getting certified to become a past life regression (laughs) hypnosis specialist, Um, But I found that these stories just go way beyond even this lifetime. And so when we go into the stories and we can emote and we can feel, the healing naturally starts to happen. And, And that's why, again, tapping is so effective because we can bring the things that we're scared about into the light. We can process through them. And by the time it's done, it's like, wow, that's pretty amazing. I'm feeling really good. Now what do I do to get my money house in order? And we're off to the races to figure out how we can be more effective in our businesses and in our, in our personal money management. So that's kind of the process that I see people go through. I so agree about the power of group, uh, group transformation, really. It's like a portal is opened when a group comes together with this intention, especially around this intimate topic of money and uh, and the way that it does develop such compassion and not only self-compassion, but our skills of empathizing with other people and the struggles that people, no matter what their bank account amount is uh, and, and financial class, that the people with financial wealth struggle as well in in different ways but that there is a a common ground and and a, a humanness that comes through when we can really share intimately right totally and the other piece that i feel like you might also um understand is i i will this whole money coaching thing has not been around all that long. There have been people maybe, you know, 10 years or something, but it's still relatively new to a lot of people. And when I hear people say to me, and this happens a lot, they're like, oh, I've done my money stuff. Like I've done my money work and now I'm, you know, moving on to other things. I kind of chuckle inside because I have been doing this money work for a really long time and there would never be a time probably in this life where I would ever say I've done my money work. So I want to back to the maturity thing that, you know, we're talking about here. This is not about like I've won that race. I have scaled that mountain. I'm done with the work. Like it's just not that simple. Money infiltrates every aspect of our lives and the thought that you've won that game is really a very egoic way of looking at it. Instead, it's much more healthy, I think, to say, I'm on a journey, I continue to get things revealed to me, and when they appear, I've got tools to help me work with them. You know, that's like a very different answer than I've done my money work. Do you know what I'm talking about, Crystal? Oh, totally. Yes. And it's so humbling, right? You know, that when I get a bank fee, I'm like, it's just, oh, okay, I'm I'm learning from this. I'm not going to beat myself up and, <laughs> and go into that critic. It's like I can still be providing value to people even though I, you know, am still human and make mistakes and overlook things. <laughs> it's, uh, I think that's what <laughs> makes a really good facilitator and coach is that we um, can continue to learn from our struggles and challenges and and really see them as opportunities when we get emotionally triggered, when we get in a fight with our 
partner and have some challenge come up that we can um, really reflect on that. You, like you said, have some of the tools to uh, really be able to learn from those experiences, right? Totally. And I came from, I, I was a meditation teacher and I practiced Buddhism for many years and I don't identify myself as a Buddhist now, but what I do love about those teachings is this middle path and this idea that it's free from extremes. And so, you know, money is not a I won that race because it's really easy to go to an extreme and have a very harsh way of dealing with money. And that's not helpful as much as it is to be a pushover with money. And so the middle path, you know, as business owners, you, you and I both know there are going to be times when people are going through, you know, your clients are going through severe financial hardship. It happens to everyone, no matter what situation you're in. And if that's the moment you take a hard stance, like, I'm sorry, I can't help you anymore. I'm your money coach and you can't afford me. And, you know, you're out on the street. It's like, <laughs> that would be the most crazy situation right? It's a middle path. It's like, wow, you know, let's see what we can do to continue to work together. And it may not involve money. And it's, and I am so clear that my work is way beyond just what I get paid for to do, you know, and return. <laughs> it's like, there's a very beautiful dance that I continue to learn each and every day of how to run my business and be profitable, but also be a compassionate, loving human being that has incredible gifts to share with the world that we're not necessarily necessarily like all mine, you know, like I wasn't just the creator of these things, like they've been given as gifts to me. And I do feel like they're gifts when I share them with the world. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do, you know, no matter who you are. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. And it's so important for people to have these opportunities. Uh, it's in relationship that our gifts are brought forth. And that we are able to also receive what we need and be able to ask for that and be in that flow, which is how I define prosperity is just this balanced flow of giving and receiving and that satisfaction and nourishment and, and being aware that it is a flow, just like uh, a cycle of life, that there are times of great, you know, the harvest time where maybe there's a lot of money coming in and we're really, you know, out there in the world. And then there were times in life, you know, after I had my babies, it was a very internal, quiet, you know, visionary kind of time. And so I think as we can acknowledge those cycles, we can be more masterful at, at navigating them. Totally. It's so beautiful. This very, how I feel like this divine feminine presence that wants to come into our relationship with money is more like a dance and it isn't absolute. It's filled with love and beauty and compassion. And also that goes both ways. Like you said, giving and receiving. They're both important parts of the equation. Mm, yes. Yes. Oh, so I'd like to uh, take a short break here. And when we come back, I'd like to continue to imagine together what this more intimate feminine economy could look like and the significance of people listening, you know, finding their unique genius and being able to bring that forth in the world and why this uh, 
this money piece is uh, about so much more than just your money. So we'll be back in just a moment. Do you get choked up and flushed talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at findyourmoneyvoice.com. Welcome back. We are here with guest Lisa Peterson and just sharing a delightful exploration of what is possible when people are willing to transform their money beliefs and behaviors and connect in uh, meaningful ways. And so for many people, it can be hard to imagine a different economy. We are, have been born into this system of what I call extractive capitalism, and it has certain qualities that create competition and scarcity in the very way that money is created through fractional reserve banking, in, that there's never enough to repay all of the debts. And so it, when we're so ingrained in this, there, for a lot of people, there's anger and blame around, you know, financial hardship and, and uh, you know, anger at corporations and banks. And, you know, it's just there underneath that people are really wanting to feel uh, valued and uh, offer their gifts. In, in a meaningful way. And so I like to really explore both the struggles and, and the personal challenges that, that people have around money, but also imagine what's possible if we were each stepping into a more clear relationship with, with not only our finances, but with our own unique genius and how we can engage in what I like to call a more sacred marketplace uh, to, to really be valued and contribute. And so I'm curious, Lisa, what you imagine uh, with me on, on this, what, what is possible in, in this emergent transformative time here on the planet? The thing that comes to mind is really the idea of co-creation. I think that I'm very, very inspired by working with other people who are interested in the same things that I'm interested in and that far better solutions than I could ever come up with on my own are created when we're working together with these inspired, compassionate hearts, you know, and minds. And so to me, I think my whole entire business is oriented towards 
where are the opportunities for co-creation because that's where the solutions to the biggest problems are going to come. And I, I'm just really passionate about that. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's where, that's what comes to mind. Oh, that's great. I, I totally feel the same way. And uh, actually just came across a, cro- a quote by uh, Pierre Tillyard de Chardin, uh, who is a visionary. He said, there is almost a sensual longing for communion with others who have a large vision, the immense fulfillment of the friendship between those engaged in furthering the evolution of consciousness has a quality impossible to describe. And that really spoke to me about what is happening here on this planet. And um, it's often not being broadcast in the mainstream stories, but there are these collaborative uh, spaces being opened uh, and, and really uh, that, people are developing more feminine leadership qualities, which can appear in both men and women. And, and it's often about the relationships, the um, being in the not knowing the answer together and letting the, um, the solutions arise. And so curious if you'd like to say anything else about uh, what qualities make you such a great feminine leader. Well, something that comes to mind as you say what you know you were just sharing is that I realized that one of my core um, longings, if you will, and that quote especially inspired this is that when I think about my success, I think about my ability to touch more lives and I teach about my ability to create a profitable, you know, growing business, I get really excited about the idea that I'm creating opportunity for others at the same time. Like I can't wait to have the opportunity to bring other people on as teachers in the, the things that I'm, the courses that I'm creating or the platforms that I'm creating because I do feel like mm, it just gets me so excited to know that all that work that I've put into something is creating a platform for many other people to use. And there's so many examples of this coming up in my business. And this is so opposite, I guess, of my idea of, of the masculine, you know, for, for better or for worse. I don't know why I think it's that way. But when I hear people that are extremely proprietary about things that they've created, I chuckle back again because I think, well, really, did you create that? Like, did you do all the research? Did you come up with that idea that completely isolated and only yours? Or in reality, was it something that you found bits and pieces from other teachers and you've organized it in a certain fashion and now it's doing well? And I I feel like there's so much opportunity to, um, to share more than it is about Uh, owning things and like I need to have this exclusive ownership of it. I feel like the world is wanting us to realize that nothing has been provided. You know, we have not created anything. Even our physical bodies came from our parents. Like we came into this life with nothing and we'll go out with nothing, you know, but our soul. So the idea that the things that happen on this planet are proprietary is sort of a false belief at at the core elements of it. So 
I think we're wanting to see what can be created even and still make money and still, you know, take care of our families and do all the things that are important to us, but not have such a tight grasping of the creation of ideas, for example. So I'm, I'm maybe a little controversial, but I, I'd love it to hear what you think, Crystal. Oh my, I have totally experienced that too. Um, uh, yes, I, I, where to respond to that. There's so much there. <laughs> it's always tricky with these masculine feminine conversations, not to like um, be blaming men. I so I always try right. and say It's not that. about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's the quality that. of competition. I think that we're, that we're, maybe we're focused on here. Right. Right. And I've seen it again and again that confident leaders are able to really uplift others and be like, okay, what's your unique genius? There's a certain quality which um, we're not seeing so much in, in uh, our countries uh, here in America, this, uh, you know, confidence that allows others to really come forth and, and be like, we're in this together and our, your unique genius is valuable. And there's kind of that, that cooperation where they're, and it comes from a place of plenty, right? It's not like we're in, um, competition together. It's like we're creating opportunities together and we don't really know um, what will happen. But if, if we're secure enough in our ability to make um, solid agreements and communicate openly and negotiate, then I feel like relationships really can flourish, right? Yeah, totally. And it's and it's not that everybody's ready for this sort of relationship, right? Like, I feel like there's a lot of part of the reason I'm so confident in working this way is that I surround myself with people who are ready to operate this way, but not everybody is. So it's not like we take our guard down, like with the whole world, we can still identify that some people are ready to work this way and some people aren't, and that's perfectly fine. It's just important for us to be diligent in knowing is this someone being very open with our own goals and with our own, um, you know, even call them agendas. Like this is what I want in the world. This is what I'm trying to create. Is that interesting to you? And you're going to know really quick if somebody's like, well, I want to know how much I'm going to get paid. It's like, okay, well, maybe this isn't the right person right. to be working with this because that's not where we start from. Like that's the residual of a successful you know, working together and figuring out the, the bumps along the way together. So I, I don't want to be too extreme, but it is funny because these are the things that come up is it's like, well, um, the whole world isn't necessarily having this conversation just yet. Right. Yes. And, and we are seeing also this economic trend where access is becoming more valuable than ownership. And we see this, you know, as we move into the information age, where it's actually our ability to access things is um, more valuable than actually owning the, you know, and, and so that's a big shift and more, uh, um, there's even the collaborative co commons licensing that's different than a copyright. I mean, there's ways people are, um, yeah, we're seeing this in all kinds of areas. 
What I would love to hear from you is advice for people who do have struggles talking about money or negotiating or feel like they're under earning because they can't, you know, um, charge what they're worth and and make that confident, you know, um, uh, pitch to someone. So do you have advice for people who are having a hard time um, talking about money? Yeah, well, I love the idea of of the situations where you know that you want to charge more, you want to be paid more for the work that you do. I think that's a really great topic to explore. And my suggestion is that you want to come at it from two different angles. You know, one is, is there any reason, asking yourself questions, is there any reason for you to think that you are not worthy of that money? So look at that first before you go to the second part because it's important. And if there are reasons, then address those, right? Don't just leave them as open, you know, danglers. Like make sure you say, well, what do I need to do to feel that I am worthy? But simultaneous to that, what I've always seen, I've always been someone who I would say is, paid paid well so paid well in my work when i worked in the corporate world and paid well when i am building my business like it's it's a very important thing to me to pay pay close attention to and part of the way that i do that is i focus on value more than anything so i want to know that the value that i'm creating in the world that i'm providing for my employer is solid and substantial meaning i want to understand you know, no matter what role I served in an organization, that the work that I do translates to the bottom line. And when you know that and you can equate what you actually do for your organization and how it creates profits in the organization, how it leads to profits, like sometimes you still may be part of the equation. Like maybe you're in charge of customer service, for example. But you know that you're really good at keeping people, you know, staying with the organization. You're so good at motivating and inspiring and keeping, you know, good, uh, solid customer service workers doing their job, and you cut down on, on turnover. Well, I would focus a lot on, well, what's the value of that to the organization? If you've taken it from, you know, 20% to 10% turnover, what does that add up to. Like, I want to know the numbers because ultimately when you go in to ask for a raise or you go in to negotiate, I've seen that the people who make the most money are the ones who can clearly communicate their value to the organization. The same thing goes as a coach. It's like, well, where are you making a difference? How are you saving money? How are you helping people make money? What is it that you're doing? And if, if you're charging something and you're not actually able to translate it to money, or to a very, um, you know, there are tons of things that we do with coaches that are very soft skills, and I will admit they're not easy to put a price on. But you do know that in comparison, you can find other things that you can compare it to. Well, what is it worth to save your marriage? You know, like that's priceless, you know, so if it's important for you to save your marriage. So it's like I still always look at how can I translate this? Because if somebody's got to pay something for something, there is a value associated with it, and you want to make sure that you're bringing attention to it because that's how you can actually make more money. So does that is that helping, Crystal? What do you think? That's a great approach. I think that's really important to uh, to assess our own 
value and develop our self-worth and, and confidence to be able to, uh, to look at how we can contribute and how that translates into value for others. Yeah, that is good. Hmm. I'm just feeling like opening for whatever, if there's something else that you would like to share, some other direction you would like to go in the last um, bit of the call here today. One of the things that I've been, you know, exploring a lot with this group that I'm working with is, is just taking care of our, you know, plans for the future. So being able to save more money, being able to know what to do with the money when we're saving it. And so what do you think? Is there, is there something there that would be fun to talk about, Crystal? Sure. I think that's, uh, yeah, that's always good for people. And you could also describe a little bit about um, the group. And uh, I don't know, can people still join the group? Or is it a closed uh, thing at this point? Yeah, I do it once a year right now. So it's like a 90 day program. So we're we're in the last month of it. So you know, if someone's interested in this work, there's tons of other things that I do and ebooks and other things that they can come to the website and learn about. But when what I've, what I've seen that has been so exciting for me, just every time I do it, you know, new revelations, like I'm right there alongside everybody else and we're all learning together and we're getting these discoveries. And what was so exciting to me the other day is one of my clients is a person who she's a blog she was a blogger about paying off debt and she was very her and her husband were very focused on getting to a situation where they would have no debt and it it was also a personal passion of mine like my husband and I don't have debt we are very focused on on not using debt just a personal preference some people are fine with it but we wanted to not have it and she talked about her own journey of not having a lot of money but and having two children and and living off of one income and being able to pay off, you know, 10, 20, 30, $40,000 in debt by the choices that they made. And then hearing that story of her own experience, other women in the group, like one woman in particular, immediately went on listening to the story and realized that there was no reason why she wasn't saving more money every month. And so she, at the end of the call, this is like a 90 minute call, at the end she goes, I just want to tell y'all that I, before I started this call, I was not saving any money and I just bumped it up to $5,000 a month. Like I can see that I could easily be saving $5,000 a month and I haven't been. And you've helped me get past the shame of not doing it to the point where I'm actually doing it now. And so one thing that I've noticed is that oftentimes we think we don't have enough money to save, like there's not enough money coming in. But when we get out of the habit of saving money, it's a really bad situation to find ourselves in because it's hard to start it back up. But if we can look at our our budget or look at our financial situation and at least even find, you know, $50 or $100 or more to automatically be saving that every month, it's a really important action because you can always increase it. But it's the habit of always knowing that you're saving is is a really important thing to get in the habit of doing that I realized through my work, very few people do, especially entrepreneurs, because there's always something to invest. There's always some way to spend your money. And it's not something that we, um, you know, that we talk enough about. So, so that's just one example. You know, the other is 
financial education, learning more about investing philosophies. And that's something that I've been asked so many times about that, I, that I've decided in the fall I'm going to do a course around teaching kind of two sides. One is how do you better decide who to work with as an advisor, but also how can you, if you're already working with an advisor, how can you up that relationship by being more um, – you know, at their level in, in the questions that you ask and making sure that you're, you're on top of that relationship. And, and part of the way of doing that is to learn, you know, some really basic but very important um, overarching principles around investing and building a, building a diversified portfolio. And so I haven't figured out all the details, but I do know that a lot of people are interested in this conversation, and I want to test that out in the fall because I'm, I'm just excited to see what, what happens for people as they become more empowered with their money. Mm. I love that approach, just the way that you are supporting people in not only their immediate behaviors and, and shifting habits, but having that long-term perspective and meeting those goals and how many people, especially younger people, kind of just are so caught up in, in the daily life and growing their business or their family that it can be hard to, to think, you know, 20 years into the future and how these decisions really do add up and impact you know, your financial future and, and the investing part is, is just so powerful because I've recently had a couple guests on um, from uh, in the impact investing world and how people really do have this deep desire to affect change with their money and to really make uh, well-informed decisions and uh, trust that their money is supporting something with integrity and, and that each one of us, uh, one of my guests said, everyone with a bank account is an investor because the bank you choose to use is then able to loan out money. And so I just, I just think that's a really empowering topic to cover. Yeah, and I, I got a lot of feedback, too, from people on Facebook and in my groups that there's a desire to be able to receive the information and the education from someone who's not biased about, like, selling you something, right? So just very unbiased education because that also, because there's so much fear and, and, and untrust, you know, distrust, I guess, in the industry, it's like being able to hear it from someone who's just like, well, this is what I've learned in my in being in that industry, but then there's um, th that industry is just complicated is all I'm going to say. There's a lot. It's very difficult to be in the advisor spot because there are um, there's a tendency to gloss over details that are very important for the investor to know, but it doesn't serve the advisor to talk to the investor about those things. And so those are some of the things that like just bringing them into the surface, you know, and, and allowing people to make their own decisions is what I think is really important. Mm. Wow. I am just so glad you are out there doing this work, Lisa. <laughs> really. Oh. Yeah, you have such a unique perspective because of your very practical financial uh, background and then all of this energetic, you know, invisible soft skills that you bring. I, I imagine that's very uh, transformative and supportive for your clients. 
Um, if people are interested in connecting with you, uh, could you tell them a little bit more about uh, what you're offering on your site? Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah, the best place to get started would be to go to wealthclinic.com. And I just posted something that I'd love to get feedback on. Um, I respond to all my emails. So if you sign up for anything, just to reply and tell me what you think. But I just set up a something I've been testing into, which is a quiz that allows you to, it's right on the cover page of the Wealth Clinic site. It says, take the quiz, find out where you're stuck. And it's all about using the chakras. So we're going to go totally woo-woo. I've developed a system to help people identify where are you stuck when it comes to lack and scarcity. And so all seven of the chakras are game. Like we're able to take a quiz, quick quiz, nine questions, super fun pictures and very simple. And it tells you what is the trend of where you're stuck. Is it more the root chakra, the sacral chakra? And, um, you know, if you enjoy that and you want to learn more, then I have created a video course, a seven-day free video course that you can take to learn more about the chakras and how it ties into scarcity and lack and, and begin some of this work, the inner work that we've been talking about here. So I would love it if people check it out and let me know what you think because, you know, we test things and we try things, and I think it's pretty fun, but, but it's new. So <laughs> there you go. Awesome. I just love bringing these things that were once disregarded as woo-woo to actually significant. And as we've both seen working with people on these type of energetic uh, levels, that this is really deep transformation can, can happen beyond our rational mind. And so if you listeners come to a place where you just can't figure things out, <laughs> you've read all the books <laughs> and, and still can't, you know, get get things in a good place and and then you know I really encourage you to uh to sign up for this at Wealth Clinic and and take that deeper look at what invisible patterns and underlying causes there might be to your um challenges huh. well in the last few minutes uh what what closing thoughts would you like to share with listeners well, first, I just want to say thank you so much, Crystal, for having me on your program. It's been so much fun to have this conversation. I love what you do, and I love, I feel like I could talk to you for days, of, you know, your experience as an economist, and then just like what I'm doing, you know, bringing the energetic side. So thank you for the work that you do. And I just, I just think that you know, if both of us are able to inspire people to try new things and to get out of their comfort zone and explore new possibilities, I think you and I, you know, both know that the possibilities are endless. And so I just want to encourage people to not stay where you are, know that the potential is incredible and that, you know, it might just be right around the corner when you discover something that, that really gets you excited about the future and your financial future in particular. Mm. I love that curiosity and bringing that adventuresome uh, quality into our exploration of money and just knowing that the terrain of money and value can be so colorful and uh, colorful and fascinating 
and uh, and having the courage and curiosity makes me think of my uh, six year old child and just that exuberance of like what you know what is happening in this world and and the curiosity that we can bring to our financial life and conversation and and like i said in the beginning how this work is really just a doorway into uh transforming many areas of your life so that you can have satisfying relationships invite in more joy uh get more creative, um, offer your unique genius in a powerful way to impact change and just encourage everyone who's listening who feels that urge to, to be part of this massive transformation of consciousness that's happening to really take a moment after um, this show to uh, write down, you know, three ways that you would like to take action uh, to affect change. And this may be financially related or not. And just really uh, get curious and, uh, and take some purposeful action to not only creating greater prosperity in your own life financially, but also just creating uh, a meaningful contribution and enjoyable relationships and, and collaborations. And thank you, Lisa, for demonstrating what is really possible in, in some of these new ways of, of doing business that integrate the left and the right brain, our masculine and feminine aspects, and the ways that we integrate spirituality with money. It is truly, uh, I just see you as a great pioneer in this field. And so thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us here today. Thank you, Crystal. My pleasure. All right. So everyone, I encourage you to check out the uh, wealthclinic.com and you can see the links in the post here and, uh, and take that quiz and get curious, most of all. All right. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.